I would ask that you take your Bibles and let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. One of the amazing portions of this book of the law. Deuteronomy is the fifth of the books of the law. So you start at the front of the Bible and go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. It teaches us the Deuteronomic principle. As I mentioned at the very beginning of the service, today is Reformation Sunday. It's All Saints Day. All Saints Day, of course, is that moment when we have celebrated all that have lived before us and all the reformers that have changed our world. And so it's an important time for us to think about how God works in a generation and how he used people in the past to accomplish his work and how he does the same thing in our generation as he uses us. So today we're going to do a little different kind of thing. We're going to focus back into our own tradition and see how God used uh, John Wesley to change England. And then we're going to bring this over to, in fact, how he uses us to change our world. And, of course, the great symbol and the great power of the church is the sacrament. It's that moment when we commune and we receive forgiveness. We're able to be empowered in a new way that we did not have. And it's a tremendous moment as we uh, together get to celebrate. It's a, it's a very beautiful thing. As you know, we've, we've started the West Side, and a lot of the, the, the singers today are from the West Side group. And the Foundry, and they are worshiping with us on the first of every month to celebrate the sacrament with us. And so it's good to have the whole family together in these moments. In my studies, I came across a a fascinating description of national problems. The author said this, Other issues faced the nation. Economic power began to shift from the countryside to the cities. Urban moneylenders charge exorbitant rates to farmers and claim the land of delinquent debtors. Debtors then sold themselves into slavery so they could buy food to feed their families. In addition, political power became corrupt. Judges took bribes, showed favors to the wealthy. Economically and politically, the gap widened between the rich and the poor. Now what's fascinating about uh, this description of the nation is that the scholar who wrote this is describing the nation of Israel at the time when the book of Deuteronomy was written. So this description, which could, for the most part, be in our daily newspaper, describes a nation about 3,000 years ago. And the author goes on to explain that these problems were occurring within the people of God because they were not following the commandments of God. These commands, simple ones really, received at Mount Sinai, of how we could live together in peace and harmony, they had not been followed. And the love for God that is intended to be a a primary part of the soul of a nation, where we love God and we love others, was not happening in Israel. At the front of Wesley Chapel in downtown London is the very same call to God that we're going to read in just a moment, that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength, and then to love others as Jesus combines into the great commandment, 
to care about people. Cheryl and I worshiped there just a few weeks ago, and we were there in the midst of a, of a wonderful congregation that was still beating with the heart of God in the midst of London. Ethnic groups were all together in all this great celebration. The music was Wesleyan hymnody sung with a wonderful Jamaican beat. And it was a beautiful, beautiful service. When Wesley created this front of this chapel about 250 years ago or so, he was facing a nation that had no child labor laws. They cared nothing for the poor. Slavery was rampant. England was core to the slavery trade. The gap between the rich and the poor had grown so great that, in fact, in France, just over the channel, that gap was one of the three major causes of the French Revolution. But in his nation, in Wesley's England, he sought to change the soul of his people. And by all accounts, he did. One Ph.D. historian, the president of the United States in 1950, Woodrow Wilson, said this about Wesley, speaking of his action in the end of the 18th century in those final decades of the land. And so everything that made for the regeneration of the time seemed to link itself with Methodism, the great impulse of humane feelings which marked the closing years of the century seemed in no small measure to spring from it. The reform of prisons, the agitation for the abolition of slavery, the establishment of missionary societies and Bible societies, the introduction into life and, into, and even into law of pity for the poor, compassion for those who must suffer the noble philanthropies and reforms which brightened the annals of the 19th century had their spiritual birth in the 18th. Wesley had carried Christianity through the masses of the people, had renewed the mission of Christ himself, and all things began to take color from what he had done. Men to whom Methodism meant nothing, yet in fact followed this man to whom Methodism owed its establishment. No doubt he played no small part in saving England from the madness which fell upon France ere the century ended. The English poor bore no such intolerable burdens as the poor in France had to endure. There was no such insate preservation of old abuses in England as maddened the unhappy country across the Channel. Now, how did Wesley do that? How did he change his generation and change his nation? By calling the people to the very same call that was done to Israel 2,700 years earlier. And I would suggest to you that it is the very same call to the very same conditions of the nations of our world today, 3,000 years later. So from these pages of Deuteronomy to the front of Wesley's chapel to the sanctuary in Santa Barbara, we need to listen, hear, obey, witness to the truth of God's blessing on an individual and on a nation that loves the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and all your soul and all your strength. So let's look at the great Shema, as it's called. Shema, O Israel. Shema, O Santa Barbara. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Shema, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, I know I say this repeatedly and I mean it with all my heart. I'm so thankful you didn't leave us just for trial and error to try to figure out how to bring peace, how to bring lasting families and nations and communities, how to bring goodwill you taught us from the very beginning when you established the nation of Israel and you've called us to that in every generation since. This is our time. These are our days. This is our world. These are our poor. These are ours in need. We would ask that you would be with us as we respond to you in every way that your people can respond in heart and soul and strength and mind. Please be with us now. Amen. Now why is this Shema so vital to you and to me and to our children and to our nation? Why does love of God matter so much that without it we don't have lasting peace, lasting prosperity, lasting care? And why does a nation that stops caring for its poor and allows this increasing gap between the rich and the poor, why does that lack of compassion unstabilize a nation, producing not just unrest but revolution, as we've seen not just in France but many nations today? Why does love of God set the stage for love of the other, such that we can live in unity with all people of all nations, all colors, and have compassion for all, truly caring for them? Well, the answer to that question and why the Shema was repeated so quickly in the book of Deuteronomy goes back to the very first commandment given by God in the chapter just before. 
In the chapter just before our text, God says, Shema, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. And the first, he says, is you shall have no other gods before you, before me. Now think about why that is first and foremost. Why, does, why is that the, the foundation of all peace, all lasting love? And why is that first commandment described just a chapter later, later as love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and later on they add mind? Is that the living out of don't have any other gods before. I want to think for just a moment before we move into the sacrament why it is so important that we love God first and foremost and have no other gods. The image that I have in my own mind is that of the solar system itself. Imagine that if we took the sun, the center, that which provides warmth and light and life, a wonderful analogy for the Son of God. And we decide rather than having the sun in the center, we're going to put some other planet, some other thing. Not wrong in itself, not inappropriate in itself, in its rightful place, but we're going to put it in the center. What happens to the whole, the interactive, the place? What allows us to have harmony in the universe itself? So imagine, what happens to a business that loves and worships profit rather than people? What happens to a nation that loves and worships comfort more than compassion? What happens when a parent worships a child or a husband worships a wife or a wife a husband? What happens to a nation when we worship power and fame more than justice and righteousness? Now, I could go on and on. Think of almost anything that people put in that central place in their life and then try to orient everything else around the service of that new God. And you begin to recognize so quickly why if God is not God and we have some other God that's crawled in to the center of our lives, our lives will not work. Our nation will not work. Our world will not work. Whatever it is and whatever you think is so important that it should be first even over God and even over what God has said to us today. All Saints Day. Reformation Sunday. It's a day, of course, when we honor those in the past, as we just did, thinking of what Wesley was able to do in his nation and in his world. But more importantly, it's a, it's a moment in which you and I stop and think about what does God say to us in our day and in our world? And what part are we playing in the stabilization and prosperity and compassion and love of God in the world? And what part are we playing in the destabilizing, inharmonious destruction 
And that happens in families, businesses, communities, and world. And it's that moment when we stop and we honestly come before God and commune with the one who is all. And we confess and we ask for forgiveness. And our confession is in two ways. It's, it's not just, and, and oftentimes in Christian life, it's, it's not even primarily doing something wrong. Christians can begin to live a life that follows the healthy standards of good life and, and so on. But it's often the, the sin of omission where we don't love, we don't care, we don't go out of our way, we don't sacrifice in order for there to be good, wonderful healing and wholeness and food and shelter and safety and protection for those who are in our world. And so this morning as we go to the sacrament, I don't know what God is going to say to you personally, but listen, Shema, obey, Shema, for God is here. We serve open communion. That means that every one of you are, are welcome to participate. This is not a religious act. This is a spiritual communion with God. It's an eternal communion with the Creator and Savior and Redeemer and Sanctifier of our souls. And so you're welcome to come forward and receive and humbly kneel and make your honest confession to Almighty God.